Today on Locked on Mariners, I will be visited by three ghosts. One who will show me the joy I used to have for Christmas. One who will show me how I'm ruining it for everybody around me presently. And another who will show me what it'll be like in the future if I don't change my ways. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Man, last night's game sure was fun, wasn't it? Long, but fun. And at least the last part of it was fun. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, ladies and gentlemen. The final countdown begins, as it were. And I'm really hoping the Mariners can pull out a sweep as the last series that I'll cover here on Locked On Mariners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, or T-L-O-P-N, or Tloppin. Please remember to download and follow this program using whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any program here on Tloppin. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is approaching, gang, and the Locked On MLB YouTube channel will be streaming the hot stove live. Two hours of Major League Baseball trade analysis from our from our Locked On lineup of local experts. Subscribe to Locked On MLB on YouTube and tune in July 30th, beginning at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, 9 p.m. in Budapest. Before I begin, I want to say a big thank you to Jason Burke for filling in for me yesterday and Monday. He really knocked it out of the park, did a magnificent job. He does a great job on Locked on A's. He puts on a terrific show. So go listen to him. Check in on our division rivals once in a while, Jason Burke on Locked on A's. Now to last night's game. Mondays are school nights for me, so I wasn't able to watch most of it. The first time I checked on it during a break, it was already 6 nothing in the second inning. I had already written it off. And then when class was over about 9.30, it was only the top of the sixth inning. Ordinarily, after two and a half hours, you'd hope that it would at least be in the bottom of the seventh. It was another very long game, but the Mariners were only down two at that point, 8-6. to six, Scored again in the sixth to make it 8-7. to seven. And then both sides... Uh, went down a short order in the 7th, and the only blip on uh, Kendall Graveman's radar in the top of the 8th was a two-out walk to Michael Brantley. Then it got fun. Ty France got the party started, so to speak, with a single against Ryan Stanek, who had just entered the ballgame. Cal Raleigh struck out, then Luis Torrens grounded out, advancing Mr. France to second base. It was looking like another one of those innings where the Mariners would get a little something going, only to see it fade away. But then Jared Kelnick walked, as did Tom Murphy against new pitcher Brooks Raley, and that uh, loaded the bases for Dylan Moore, who had pinch hit earlier in the game for Jake Bowers, but struck out to end the scoring threat in the sixth. First pitch was way inside. Second pitch was also inside, but he fouled it away. And then it happened. Rayleigh left one out over the plate at the top of the zone, and Mr. Moore absolutely crushed it. It sailed into the upper deck down the left field line, sending Graham out of the kitchen to fetch the rye bread and mustard for a grand salami. I was listening to the radio. I wasn't watching the game. I was listening to the radio. And Rick Riz not only broke out a my, oh my, but also at least one everybody scores, which I don't think he's done since Luis Soho's key hit in the 1995 American West uh, 
American League West pennant clincher. I say at least one because I was celebrating so much I didn't clearly hear some of the radio broadcast. I know he said it once. I heard that clearly. I think he may have said it again as I was carrying on. I was having one hell of a good time. After the dust settled, J.P. Crawford stepped into the box, and Rayleigh's command was still not sharp at all. He hit Mr. Crawford with a 3-1 pitch way up and inside, pretty much in his head area. Scott Service was pissed. He was barking at either Rayleigh or the other dugout from the top step of the Mariners' dugout, and home plate umpire Quinn Walcott, no relation to former Mariners pitcher Bob Walcott, I'm pretty sure, uh, he quickly intervened and exchanged some words with the Mariners' skipper, more or less diffusing the situation. Good on him. One of the trash can bangers was out of the dugout on the warning track. I don't know who it was. It did not go any farther. Trash Rose skipper Dusty Baker had a brief conversation with, I believe, the third base umpire. Then all four umpires met in conference. And then they ejected Luke Rayleigh from the ballgame. Honestly, gang, as much as I dislike the Houston asterisks, I have to be honest, I don't think Luke Rayleigh was intentionally throwing at J.P. Crawford. It was a 3-1 pitch. It was late in the at-bat. He didn't have command of any of his pitches. I just think this one got away. Emotions were still running very high on the Mariners' side. And I think the umpires actually made a mistake by tossing him. After the dust settled again, Joe Smith came in from the asterisk's pen. But before offering any pitches to uh, the next batter, Mitch Hanniger... He picked off Mr. Crawford from first base to end the inning. Paul Sewald came in from the Mariners' pen to nail down the victory, and he did so with a 1-2-3 inning. Mariners came from behind, way behind, to steal Game 1 of the three-game series in front of a very vocal home crowd. They really let the Astros players have it. Boos were heard all night long in the direction of Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve. Alex Bregman was spared from this as he is on the injured list, but if he was playing, I'm sure that um, he would have been booed mercilessly as well. Dave Sims mentioned on the radio side that it reminded him of growing up in Philadelphia. You know, the, the fan base that is famous for booing everybody and everything, even booed Santa Claus, And Dave Sims revealed that he was at the first game or the first sporting event in which Philadelphia sports fans booed Santa Claus. It was a Philadelphia Eagles game. I think he said it was 1963, but I could be misremembering. And then it happened in Veterans Stadium in a a Phillies game uh, in the early 70s. I don't recall which year he said that was, but uh, he was not at that game. He was at a game, though, in which Phillies fans booed Mike Schmidt, beloved Philadelphia Phillies icon Mike Schmidt. He was an intern for the Phillies at the time. I'm I'm, I'm going off topic again, though. Wonderful job by the Mariners' rooters last night. I was so proud of you hearing all those boos coming from the stands. It was wonderful to hear. Congratulations and good job. When the Mariners finally put it all together, whether it's next year, the year after, or maybe even soon, they can point to this game as the moment where they finally began to coalesce. I do not ordinarily spend two segments talking about one game, but I'm going to today. Haven't talked pitching at all yet, and I'm probably not going to much in B-Block either. At the end of the show, I'm going to bounce 
off something that Jason Burke had talked about yesterday involving some trade rumors. But before any of that, we've got the trivia corner and today's trivia question. Dylan Moore's Grand Slam last night was the first of his Major League career. Off whom did he hit his first Major League home run? I'll tell you after this word from Rock Auto, a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto parts from hundreds of manufacturers, whether it's for your daily driver or for your classic. You get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The lawn's being mowed outside. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right at this exact moment to see all the parts available for your car, truck, van, SUV, or crossover. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know for an undisputed fact we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Answer to the trivia question. On April 8th, 2019, Dylan Moore hit his first Major League home run off Homer Bailey. It was the second inning of that day's game in Kansas City. The M's were down 2-0 in the second. Daniel Vogelbach led off the inning with a home run. And two outs later, Dylan Moore collected for his first big league homer to tie the game. It was his second big league hit, his first RBI, and his first run scored. Mr. Moore went 2-for-4 that day with three runs as the Mariners won 13-5, mainly on the strength of an eight-run sixth inning. Coming up, more on more, and the rest of last night's exciting come-from-behind win. Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, D.C. Lunder. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. Going to continue to talk about last night's come-from-behind victory against the Houston Houston Trash Can Bangers here in uh, the second uh, segment of today's show. Dylan Moore's Grand Slam was obviously the play of the game, and it's at least in the running for play of the year for the Mariners. It's either that one or Ace Fraley's catch and double play in Detroit. Take your pick, gang. But the two plate appearances prior to that salami were not only key, but were very impressive in their own rights. With Ty France representing the tying run at first base with two away, Jared Kelnick drew the first of two very important bases on balls. The first pitch was way high, an easy take. The second one was off the outside corner. Ryan Stanek was hoping that uh, young Mr. Kelnick would chase it, but he didn't. Kelnick has a very good eye and approach at the plate. It was perhaps a little bit too far off the plate to make him offer. The third one was a splitter over the plate in that had dipped out of the strike zone. Kelnick wasn't fooled and took ball three. You have to throw this kid a strike, especially when he is ahead in the count. Pitch number four was the first fastball of the at-bat, a 97-mile-an-hour heater just above the belt on the outside half of the plate. Kellogg managed to get a piece of it, but not much else. He fouled it away. Foul tip, actually. Next pitch was actually a very good pitch, a 98-mile-per-hour fastball on the outside corner at the bottom of the zone, which Kelnick took for strike two. This was a very smart take. Mr. Kelnick was not going to do much with it if he had offered at it, and it was close you know, enough 
that there was a chance that the umpire might have called it in Kelnick's favor, but he did not, and the count was now full. The next offering was another 98-mile-per-hour fastball in a similar location to the fourth pitch, above the belt on the outside half of the plate, and Mr. Kelnick fouled this one off as well. Stanek then tried a slider but missed badly low and inside, and Mr. Kelnick earned a very impressive walk. Next was supposed to be Shedlong Jr., who had driven in the Mariners' seventh run in the sixth inning. But Dusty Baker went to the bullpen to get Southpaw Luke Rayleigh to face Mr. Long to gain the platoon advantage, and Scott Service sent up his final bench player, right-handed hitting Tom Murphy, to keep the inning alive. Which led me to wonder how the Mariners were going to align themselves defensively the next half inning. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's savor this comeback just a bit more. Murphy swung over a curveball out over the plate, but out of down out of the zone to start things off. Pitch number two was a called strike on the inside corner around the belt. Remember, I was listening on radio, ladies and gentlemen, so I didn't see any of these plate appearances. I, I heard them. I was paying. I was certainly paying attention. I'm looking at that pitch by pitch recap on MLB.com. Anyways, Mr. Murphy fouled off the third pitch, which which was a little higher than the previous one, but also on the outs, inside corner. Pardon me. Pitch number four was a curveball down out of the zone on the outside corner. Pitch number five was on the inside corner, but high out of the zone, and Mr. Murphy suddenly found himself in an even count. Number six was out over the plate, but way high for an easy take at ball three, and number seven was also way high for ball four. Mr. Murphy had come back from an 0-2 hole to work a walk to load the bases for Dylan Moore, who just destroyed the ball that was left out over the plate. I don't remember the last time I saw someone run that fast all the way around the bases like Mr. Moore did. He was pumped, and he wanted to get back and celebrate with his teammates. This is the kind of celebration that I love. He hit the ball, pointed to his dugout on the way to first base, left the batter's box immediately, almost reminiscent of Dante Bichette's game-winning home run in extra innings on opening day in 1995 in a way, but anyways. uh, Mr. Moore then met the three men whom he just drove in at home plate, and the foursome headed back to the dugout, very excited, met J.P. Crawford in the on-deck circle for a high five. The whole team was pumped, and they did not show up the opposition at all this was great. On the pitching side, Darren McCoggin got clobbered in the first inning, or McCacken, I guess it is. It's C M C C A U G H A N, and I want to say McCoggin, but it's McCacken. Anyways, uh, he got destroyed in the first inning, gave up another run in the fourth. I'm not going to break him down. Why bother? Keenan Middleton had the fifth, and he allowed another run. But then Eric Swanson, Kendall Graven, and Paul Seawald were all excellent out of the bullpen, shutting the Astros down. Mr. Swanson and Mr. Graven both have ERAs below one. Mr. Swanson is below a half run, while Mr. Seawald is at 2.30. Mr. Middleton is over five and a half, but happy thoughts. The bullpen helped to save the day. Jared Kelnick and Tom Murphy set up Dylan Moore's heroics. This sounds weird to say in a game where the opposition scored eight runs, but this was a great team effort. They picked up the starting pitcher who had faltered on the pitching side and on the offensive side. Chris Flexen will tow the rubber tonight for the Mariners, looking for his 10th win of the season. And he'll be opposed by Lance McCullers, who is 7-2 with a 3.04 earned run average. Should be a pretty good pitching matchup tonight. I'm excited. If you have a question or a comment, please send it into LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. One final mailbag segment before I end my tenure here on Locked On Mariners. That is coming up 
Thursday. Questions and comments on any subject are highly encouraged. Does not have to be about the Mariners. Does not even have to be about the baseball or sports at all. I know Jason uh, Burke was kind of giving you ideas of other other subjects to write in about. No one has done that yet. But, you know, if you have thoughts on flowers or trees or anything else that Mr. Burke mentioned or the Olympics that are going on, send them in to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. And if you've been one of our regular emailers, feel free to send in two or three emails if you want to. Get your money's worth on this last mailbag edition. Coming up, are the Mariners targeting infielders ahead of Friday's trading deadline? Yes. Okay, don't have to do that story now. Maybe I'll gargle the low spark of high-heeled boys instead, but not before this word from Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. The script cell still says it's in full swing. We're at the trade deadline, people, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all, the, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, which I think is done, the NHL, we just had the expansion draft, and all your UFC slash MMA action, and probably the Olympics as well. Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs, which, you know, is coming to a head on Friday. Head over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, promo code locked on. Welcome back to Locked On Mariners. Here once again is your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you once again, Joey Martin. Final segment of the day uh, here on Locked On Mariners on this Tuesday edition. The trade deadline is Friday. I don't know if I will ever get used to the deadline not being July 31st. But the Mariners find themselves kind of in an odd position. Just a very short time ago, everyone was speculating that Mitch Hanniger and Kendall Graveman and maybe even Drew Steckenrider would all be dealt away to contenders. However, the Mariners are 55-46, and 46, one game back of Oakland for the second wildcard spot, and six, uh, six games behind Houston in the AL West. I have kind of said for a while now that even though the Mariners had been winning recently, I didn't think they were a legit playoff team. My mind has been changed after last night. I've also always said that the Mariners would not trade Maniger and probably would not trade Mr. Graveman, and that now appears as if I was correct. Sort of. I also said that the Mariners would pretty much stand pat at the deadline, but now they're reportedly making a push to acquire an infielder to bolster the offense. Uh, the name that came up Sunday night, whom Jason Burke spoke about on Monday, was uh, Locked On Mariners contributor John Miller's mini-me, Whit Merrifield. Uh, just picture Merrifield, about two inches taller, and just bigger overall, and you've got John Miller. And uh, this morning, or last night, Trey Turner was also reportedly a target for the M's. Mr. Turner is a shortstop. That is J.P. Crawford's domain. Mr. Turner's not a particularly great defensive shortstop. He would probably play second base for the M's if he was acquired, although that is a long shot. The Nationals have basically said that anyone not named Juan Soto is available, but Turner is 28, and he'll be under team control until 2023. The Mariners would probably have to give up a lot to get him, but it might be worth it. 
This season, he is slashing 320, 368, 519, and has only struck out a 19.9% of his at-bats. Only 19.9. That is, that's below league average. He's a right-handed hitter who would fit uh, very nicely behind J.P. Crawford in the lineup as the number two hitter, moving Mitch Hanniger to third, fourth, or fifth. On the other hand, Mr. Turner could also hit third, fourth, or fifth. He has power. He's got 18 home runs on the season, along with 17 doubles and three triples. He leads the National League in total bases, and he's driven in 49 runs. For his career, he is slashing an even 300, 355, 486. Last season, he slashed 335, 394, 588. His power production has gone up since 2019 over what it had been in the past. He's also good on the base paths, stealing as many as 46 bases in a season and leading the NL in that department with 43 in 2018. This season, he has 21 steals against only three caught stealings. In addition to shortstop and second base, Turner also has experience in center field, which means he can also play left or right if need be. Whit Merrifield has been one of my favorite players for a while, and I would love to see him in a Mariners uniform. His offensive skill set is sort of similar to Mr. Turner's, but with much less power. But that's not something the Mariners need, and his strikeout rate is even better. Mr. Merrifield is only striking out on 15.4% of his at-bats, which is below his career average, or his career rate, of 17.3%. He is the ideal number two hitter. He makes contact. He has good gap power. He has 23 doubles and two triples on this season, and he runs the bases well. He leads the American League in stolen bases with 25. He's only been caught once, and he has led the league two other times with a high of 45. The only thing that does not make him a great leadoff hitter is the fact that he doesn't walk too much. But as a number two hitter, I think he would be perfect. Defensively, he's not going to hurt you, but he's really nothing special either. While his main position is second base, he's like Dylan Moore or Telegram Sam Haggerty in that he can play almost anywhere. He's played a lot of outfield, including a little center field, and he's spent a little time at the hot corner as well. While I'm sure Trey Turner could play third base, Whit Merrifield has, and a second baseman who also plays third would be a very good fit for the Mariners, I think. Kyle Seeger has played almost every single game, even though Ty France and Dylan Moore can play third. Telegram Sam as well, even though he's on the injured list. And also Shedlong Jr. has a little experience at the hot corner as well. I'd like to see Mr. Seeger get a day off here and there, at least even once a week. They have the personnel to do it. But having someone like Mr. Merrifield to plug in there would be excellent since he's an upgrade offensively at third base and at second base. He's contracted through next year, but he'll also be 33 next year. And his batting average has gone down every year since 2018. This year he's slashing 272, 319, 403. And his career slash line is 292, 339, 439. He's making less money than Trey Turner is, and the Mariners would probably have to give up substantially less to acquire him. And he could be another veteran presence in that clubhouse, which is very important for young teams such as the Mariners, especially since Kyle Seeger will not be a Mariner next season in all likelihood.
Either one of these gentlemen would be a great addition to the Mariners' lineup because they possess a skill that the Mariners are desperately lacking, contact hitting. I'm not sure who the Mariners would be willing to part with in all honesty for either player. I cannot make a real prediction, but Taylor Trammell might be on the table should the Nationals or Royals be interested. Maybe someone like Justice Sheffield or, or Justin Dunn, since Logan Gilbert is here to stay. And they can you know, fill, fill a gap in the rotation with Darren McCacken or go to a standard five-man rotation, which I honestly think they should do at least next year, if not for the remainder of this season. Again, this is merely speculation. I honestly really have no idea. These are just semi-educated guesses. Tomorrow will be an evening show as the Mariners have a day game. I'll be recapping the next two Mariners games, the final two games I'll be recapping, and I am really hoping for a series sweep. I would love to go out on a sweep of the trash can bangers. Joining me tomorrow will be Punky Brewster, Fozzie Bear, and a wrench. Jason Burke was sort of kind of making fun of me for not being able to get Fozzie Bear on the show. I'd actually been working on getting him on the show for a couple of months now, and when Mr. Burke said that on the air, I was kind of afraid that he was going to ruin the deal. But no, Fozzie agreed to appear on the show tomorrow. I cannot wait to hear what he has to say about the next two games. Punky Brewster and that wrench as well. That's going to be a great panel. So download and follow Locked on Mariners. Uh, look for us at any podcasting app that springs into your brain head. Leave a rating review if your podcasting app of choice so allows. And also check out the other great shows here on the Locked on Network, including Locked on A's, an educational show which teaches preschoolers the alphabet, Locked on White Sox, where you can get some great laundry tips and other household hints, and Locked on Marlins, a show all about sport fishing. That'll do it for this one. Evening show tomorrow. We're going to dive into the fan mailbag for the final time on Thursday. And Friday will be my finale. I'm DC Lundberg. Have a great afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski will keep you updated on the latest news in every major sport with Locked On's team of local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. This is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.